Hello and welcome to the podcast for episode 210, Prestapans. I'm Ronald D. Moore, executive producer and developer of the Outland television series, and I'm joined once again by our other producer-writer, Matt Roberts. Hi, everybody. Uh, Matt shot a fair number of sequences in this episode and was there th- all through uh, prep and well into the shoot, so I thought it would be a good, uh, a, good, a good co-pilot for this one as well. Well, I'm glad to be here. And What are we drinking? Uh, this is Scapa 16. Cheers. Cheers. Uh. Um, I think we knew pretty early on that we would do, like, at least one episode that was just a battle, yeah. right? And I think we settled on Prestapans fairly early. There was mention, I think, at one point of possibility of doing Falkirk. Falkirk well, was the, the other The option. idea is rather than split up and do, <clears throat> you know, three or four little battles. Yeah to put our efforts into really showing what war was like and, and, and Prestapans felt like uh, felt like the one we could do as well um, the way history uh, presented it to us so as, as people will see this title card was uh, kind of a neat idea we had of the, the pipes battling uh, the drums uh, for the British I believe uh, I believe when we sat around thinking about that one, I think that one was your idea, Ron. I think, yeah, and I think it kind of came out of the idea that that's how they actually dealt with communications on the battlefield in this era. The, the pipes would play different tunes that actually gave orders to troops, and on the British side, they had different drum cadences and uh, drum pieces that gave orders to the troops. Now, this opening was actually uh, written for and shot uh, for episode uh, 12. Was it 12? I thought it was 11. It was 12. It was 12. And uh, obviously a beautiful location next to the waterfall, but it was filmed for that. And then I think once everybody saw it, uh, realized it fit uh, perfectly to open this episode. I think, yeah, I think we liked the beginning of this episode, but it never, it didn't quite set the right mood exactly. And I think it was when we moved this up that the the episodes seemed to kind of come together. Are these... uh, uh, snow candles, or is this? Yeah, no, it, w- it wasn't really snowing. Yet. It, it was, however, uh, cold that day. But <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Uh, I'm sure it, was it wasn't snowing. As you can see, the 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 sun in the background. Um, oddly enough, I have been standing in Scotland where there it's been sunny on one side of the street and and raining on the other side. And we got used to doing this scene several times over the course of the season. Is is playing the the high command, Charlie and uh, Jamie, sort of arguing and figuring out tactics and strategy and seeing really why the Jacobite rebellion failed. And I mean, from our research, it feels like this is really what what the case was. It wasn't so much that they were outmanned by the British, even though they were, and they were outmanned and outgunned and all that by the by the British forces. But most uh, historians, to my understanding, blame internal dissent of the Highland com- of the Jacobite command with the reason why the, the uprising failed. It is. This is definitely one of those uh, rebellions that the leadership. You know, they had the fighting force that was willing to uh, uh, fight against the, the arguably the, the the greatest army at the time, the British, the British army, and. They had the heart and soul to go up against it, mm-hmm. but they had, didn't have is the leadership. Yeah. Because the British Army was a professional 
regular organization, you know, that was used throughout conflicts. And the, basically, the Jacobites were creating an army from scratch of farmers and cotters and merchants and guys that just were willing to go fight and leave their crops and grab their pitchforks and try to transform them into an army virtually overnight. And they, and they also, there was there was the be- belief from the top down that God was on their side. I, I mean, I'm sure every army believes that. Um, but this is, it was very true with, with uh, Charles and, and, and many of his leaders. This was filmed in a farmhouse in Pleen, Scotland. Uh, we picked uh, a location that gave us a courtyard, this headquarters, um, and once again, we're, we're a place where we can film multiple scenes where Gary and his team can go out and dress an entire place so we can almost film 360, and, and that's what really helps us uh, uh, produce these episodes because they get they get big. I think I went to the location during some of this shooting. As I recall, it was like pouring rain outside, so I think all the daylight is just provided from uh, lights outside the windows. Wait a minute, pouring rain, I Scotland? I know it's hard to believe. Yeah, I love the uh, the detail on the out the outfits. These are these are the the upper crust of, of of the clans, if you would say, and they put on their best to go and, and be around the prince to kind of yeah. sh- show that there. But I love the 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 contrast of that is Jamie in this this kind of badass leather. I think that's his father's jacket. Yeah, it's his yeah, father's it's Brian's jacket. jacket. Yeah. And I just I, I like the contrast that, they, that he doesn't have to put on airs. Yeah, that Jamie he, he himself is enough, but all these other guys. Um, and I like I like those subtleties, the playing all the details. Yeah. I think Charlie's outfit is. I think Terry told me that's modeled on an actual outfit of his. Like when he was painted in wearing this this particular uh, tartan, this red tartan that he, you'll see here in the in that outfit. So that's actually practical. It wasn't one, you know, we didn't film that someplace else. They, they could really walk in and out of that, that building yeah. um, into this courtyard, which we'll utilize throughout this episode. I think structurally, this episode, we rearranged it in editing, as I recall. I think in, uh, in Irish script... And the way it was shot, this was, this was basically told a lot in flashback. Like yeah. we opened in the hospital um, on the eve of battle, and the, the ladies hearing the you know, hearing the cannons uh, in the distance sort of told you that the battle was underway. And then we would flash back through the episode to kind of show the lead up to it and the arguments and scenes like this. But then when it was all put together in the editing room, it didn't quite hold together as strongly. So we opted to sort of smooth out the or straighten out the chronology make it linear once again and then that sort of forced us to to create a different opening because yeah. the original opening was That's right was claire in the in the makeshift field hospital getting ready with the, the other ladies for battle and so when we straightened out the chronology you needed a different opening and it didn't feel like opening with the guys just yelling at each other and tactics was really right because it didn't set a mood it didn't sort of give you a, a sense of you know dread or anything about to happen in the show and that's why we pulled that scene up from 12 and put it at the top 
Yeah, I'd <coughs> seen the different versions of uh, of ten. I think we we landed on something uh, pretty strong to yeah. kind of get to the build, the yeah. build of it. There was a little shot uh, in shooting back through one of the openings. There's a green area back there, and um, when you were standing there, it looked almost like we had put a green screen there. But the, it's really the hill, and it's, it's really just super. It's just so green. <laughs> so this was filmed at a place called Torbrex Farm. We basically uh, took ownership, uh, or we leased. The, the, the entire farm and put the Highland Army out there on one side of this bog and uh, put the British Army on the other side, which is approximately about 400 yards apart. And it really was a marshy, boggy area. It, history um, actually says that the, the armies were separate. They were very close and they were separated by a bog. So we went out and, and found uh, pretty much the perfect location for it. I know it is an amazing location <laughs> yeah. that we found a place that would have hills on the sides and a bog in the middle, so you could kind of see visually why these two armies couldn't come to blows with each other. It's interesting, you know, warfare in this era where the camps could actually camp across from each other and see each other and each sort of like biding their time, waiting for maneuver, waiting for a tactical advantage, but they could see each other during the day. And this style of warfare would, you know, persist well into the 19th century. There are many civil war battles in America where the two opposing armies could see each other. Or even you know, uh, World War One. And the World trenches, War One. Uh, until tanks came along yeah. and they could. Uh, until maneuver was really like a strong mobility and and communication. Also, you know, communication is a big deal because yeah. it was hard to sort of relay orders. You can see, relaying orders by bagpipe is not the most effective, you know, way of controlling an army. No, and and, and <coughs> the flags they would use um, would get covered up by all the smoke after yeah. the first volley of fire. You, you know, you couldn't see, yeah. you know, a hundred feet away. I like, I like the trickle down that the, the the commanders are having arguments mm -hmm. and they can't get along, and then in this scene, even people who know each other well, uh, they can't get along, and this is what war, you know, or impending battle does to people. It makes them, it, it makes them act uh, other than themselves, or does it bring out the true self? I mean, yeah. that's the. It was a great location. I remember going out there for a couple of these days and just visiting for an hour or two. And it was just, it was perfect because you had this big highland camp and you would walk through all the tents and then you'd see the bog and you would just kind of felt like, oh, it's all kind of here for once. You know what, the, the other great thing that helped us during this block is we, if you just turn around um, from where they're sitting right now is we filmed all the World War II stuff oh, right. from... Uh, episode two hundred nine, right. and uh, you were also out there for that yeah. when we were doing the jeep and yeah. and the baseball and things like that. We built out uh, visual effects, deep background. Uh, we added more people to uh, 
Yeah, a lot of the tents and people in the deep background. Not in that shot. No, not that, but uh, the, any of the wider shots. So we had probably eight to ten tents and positioned them. For the British. For the British on the other side of the bog. And uh, so they were practical and, and probably 30, 40 guys. And then what our visual effects team does is build that out. But we give them a, a practical place to start. And this as well, way in the deep background, we have... Um, the the higher wider shots they build out the tent yeah it was almost like we just said on an angle like this looking back there if you see green open ground let's fill it with tents visually in digital yeah so that you don't get any sense of open field back there because really only the tents in the immediate background right behind jamie are the ones that are really there yeah I remember how we came up with this, this whole idea of, of the bog and Dougal and... Uh, and it, we, was it come up in the writer's room? It did. Because we were just trying to... We were looking for something for Dougal based off of 209. Yeah. And I think we... Was it also because we were just trying to demonstrate the problem in a visual way of getting close to one another? That's, that's what we were doing, is trying to, to, to figure out a way of saying, hey, why... Because in, in, in a contemporary mind, you go, hey, why aren't these guys fighting? Yeah. Why don't, why don't, as you earlier explained, people, they camp so close to each other. It was weaponry that kept them away from each other, really. Yeah. And this was a way of demonstrating <clears throat> why they couldn't get to each other. And so we, we actually made it a little boggier than it, uh, it, it was already, so to give it that feeling. This is one of those um, moments where uh, we filmed... Uh, Half of this was filmed main unit, half of this was filmed second unit, yeah. and we seamlessly putting it, uh, put it together in, in post, which is nice. Like that shot of him riding down, uh, this is main unit stuff, and then you cut uh, to the wide from the British standpoint, and that's all second unit stuff. And it, it really comes together uh, nicely. So we went across the hill and filmed this all in second unit. And this is, you know, seamlessly you can go back and forth with the main unit. It's pretty nice because even the light feels like it matches. It all feels like it's the same day. We filmed, that's all second unit, and digitally we added that whole army up there. But it was a... This is also somewhat of a brave moment for the actor Graham McTavish to do this because it required him to sit on the horse and take his hands off the reins and hold them out to his side. And Graham is, will be the first to tell you that he's not a horseman by nature and he's, I don't think it's his favorite thing. So to sit up on a horse and take your hands <laughs> off and hold them out wide takes a fair amount of guts. Yeah, and trust. You have to trust. And, trust. and going down a hill. And going down a hill Yeah, while we're filming you. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I think that's the... I remember way back in, in episode uh, one we were filming... And uh, they were they had to, to, to race off. It was the ambush at Kaknaman oh, yeah. Rock. Yeah. And uh, you could tell a few, I'm not going to name names, but a few of the actors on a few of the takes uh, were, were, didn't look like they'd been yeah. riding very long. Well, some of the horses decided to go in other directions. Other directions. So we had to, well, let's just say we, we didn't use those takes. Yeah. I think this was more, uh, initially it was to find out how far... The, the shooting, you know, how far the, the distance, to the, measure out the, the distance range, of the yeah. range. And um, 
we discovered that it was a better tactic to find out if there was a path through the bog. Yeah. Um, it's also nice just because it emphasizes the inaccuracy of these weapons of the day. You know, they're, they're, these smooth more smooth bore muskets just were not that accurate. It wasn't until they invented rifling in the barrel, which spins the ball and just makes it more accurate, that you know you could really have marksmen. But and changed warfare. And changed warfare. Yeah. <clears throat> there was some talk initially about whether it should be Jamie to go do this thing instead of Dougal, but I think my feeling was, and, I, and there was definitely, we, we argued about it a bit in the writer's room here and there, but it felt like this isn't something one of your army commanders goes and does. It's a fairly risky, almost foolhardy thing to do. And if Jamie's one of the high command, and he rides out on that horse and he gets himself shot, it's an incredibly stupid thing to do. Yeah. But for Dougal, it's a way to sort of, you know, allow him to do something brave, to win the prince's favor, to sort of get Dougal on your side, and it's a smart move by Jamie as a commander. <laughs> I love that. I do too. What do I do with this? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Dougal's, Dougal's used to having a man <laughs> pet his beard. <laughs> yes, very few <laughs> other men have pet Dougal's beard. Well, and lived to tell the story. Yeah, Historically, Sullivan and Murray hated each other, yeah. and it trickled down through the the whole rebellion. And it's actually probably one of the biggest problems that uh, Charlie ever Charlie had. He had a relationship with um, Sullivan. Sullivan, yeah, since childhood. Yes, since childhood is the reason he, he came along. It's always nice in our show when you know we we temper all the drama with some some humor. Oh, definitely, I, I love that. Now so there were a fair number of women that followed the Jacobite army you know, along, and in fact, in the period, women there were camp followers. Yeah. They were literally camp. They literally followed the camp of the armies on both sides. And again, this would persist well into the 19th century, and the American Civil War was the same way. Lots of wives, girlfriends, sisters came along with the army, trailed behind them, mended soldiers' clothes, did a lot of the cooking. You have to remember the armies of this day were not quite as logistically sophisticated as they are today, so a lot of the food and a lot of the supplies for the men was catch-as-catch-cans. A lot of the camp followers would provide extra food for the men and sometimes ammunition and clothing and weaponry and all that so they were like a key part of the support structure of the Jacobite army and even the British we don't really play it but with the British army had its own group of camp followers as well 
<clears throat> yeah, and as, as armies modernized, they just used, started using a list of people yeah. and put them in those roles. In those roles. But this is, these are the... These are the medics. These are the chaplains. These are yeah. these are all those. Uh, these are the mess hall. This is all. This, this all comes a, from these these ladies. Yeah. And, other, and many more that you know we just don't play. There were there were a fair number of male camp followers too. That were tinkers and smiths and didn't you know they weren't formally enlisted people, but they did a lot of the the hard work. Now this was built. Uh, on, on, on set, uh, the field hospital. Um, this is actually uh, taken from history. This is a real, oh, yeah. a real guy, this guy yeah. who really did know the path through the bog. And, uh, and he just showed up, right? He just said, hey, he, I know how to get there. He, he, in, in, in the story goes is he showed up to, to tell the, the Highland Army how to do it. And, uh, obviously, the fictional part is, you know, us taking it to Jamie and yeah. This is the risk reward. Do you trust the guy? Do you trust this guy or not? Yeah. There's a lot of decisions get made on shit like this. Yeah. There was a famous incident in the Civil American Civil War where they found a soldier found uh, a dispatch wrapped around a couple of cigars in the grass, and he picks it up, and it turns out it's like literally orders from General Lee to his key lieutenants. Wow. Giving away the whole Confederate. I think it was Chancellorsville. I probably get the name of the battle wrong, but. Uh, so they bring it back to the Union uh, commanders, and they look at it, and they have to decide whether this is fake right. and a ruse that's going to trick them, or is this legitimate? And they opted to believe it, and it was a reason why they were able to stop the the, con the Confederate Army at a key moment. Wow! It wow. Was like, but it was one of those like, do you buy it or not? Well, especially in the, that day and age. Well, even even in World War II, all the deception. Oh uh, yeah, lots of deception, lots of double agents and spies and lies, and no real way to check on it. Yeah. The communication here is just what you can tell people. Forget the internet. There's not even a phone or a telegraph. <laughs> exactly. There's no telegraph. There's just like nothing. You just have to make these decisions completely in isolation. Well, they had runners. They had runners. And how, how long does it take a guy to run to the next outpost? And I think one of the things that we always uh, are aware of in writing these stories is we can't speed things up. Yeah. It takes a, a long time. So it's you know, the question of our timeline is sometimes we have dates. We know that September yeah. 21st is when the battle happened. We know when Culloden happens. We know those dates. But moving, moving these, you know, how many days from here to here? This was filmed in that same courtyard we saw earlier, uh, just a nighttime scene. Um, one of the reasons we can do we could we could stay there all day and you know film a scene earlier in the day and then move on and do a nighttime scene. Yeah, this this is not the courtyard 
where we shot the wedding episode, right? No, that was we a talked different about that. At one, at one point, we talked about returning to that location. We we, we scouted it. We scouted for this. Um, <clears throat> at the wedding episode, there was a a big circle, a uh, stone circle in the middle, where evidently they throw all their waste during uh, the summer, and that fills up over the. Then it snows over in the in the. It's in a winter, we have no idea why, but it was, it was so visually kind of iconic, especially for that app. We, Gary couldn't figure out a way of getting rid of it, mm. and we couldn't figure out a way of shooting around it right. and not seeing it. So this was a this was actually a, a better location in the sense of getting to, because it was um, it's only about ten minutes away from from uh, Dune. Yeah, I remember. That's yeah. one of the reasons I went because it was really it was right easy there, to get yeah. there. <laughs> Off a main highway, things like that. Uh, I mean, at this point in the series run, going to the location was more something I would do as a treat rather than that I had to go work. Because yeah. you know, I had long handed over a lot of the uh, day-to-day responsibilities, really since the pilot, in truth, you know, to you and the other creative uh, writer-producers on the show. You know, and the way we shoot the series, the, the creative producer is the one that's there for the entire block of two episodes from prep through shooting and is really the man or woman on the scene, you know, yeah. the, the, the battlefield commander. And so I tend to kind of go in and out, usually feeling like I'm in the way because I don't really, I hate being on a set without anything to do. Sure. It's like I'm just here to stand and I'm inevitably standing where they want to carry a ladder through or I'm standing. Well, it's funny. We were, I remember... Uh, we were we were all the way across this big field, and you'd come out to visit one day, and we were lining up the camera, and we were getting it ready, and uh, Patrick uh, uh, came over our first AD, and he said, "Hey, um, uh, Ron's in the shot over there. Uh, do you want to tell him to just step behind the tent?" And I'm like, "No, go ahead, Patrick. Tell him." <laughs> we were like, "We could, we should just put an just, outfit on just, it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just give me a hat. And it was actually uh, Marina's big hat. It was, was Marina's big hat. Sometimes that happens to us, even though we, we you know, are, um, being the producer on set, you know, once you've, you've rehearsed, once you've done everything and you're just watching takes, sometimes it is, it's like, well, you know, you almost want something else to do. Yeah, you you help someone carry yeah. something. And, and I always feel, when I go, I always... I'm very aware that the director is aware that I'm there. And I'm trying not to feel, I don't want to make him or her feel like I'm looking over their shoulder. Because all that does is increase their anxiety and their tension. And I'm not there to like check up on it. I'm just there to sort of have fun. Yeah. I'm on the set of my show. And it's kind of neat. Which ironically, um, where we sit and where the director sits, it is right over yeah, his shoulder. Yeah, literally behind <laughs> him. You're staring at the back of his head. Saying things like, uh, don't fuck this up. Yeah, like, how long is it going to take you to get this shot? <laughs> and some of the directors just don't sit in the chair. Like yeah. they'll stand, they'll stand behind you. Yeah. And they keep like leaving because they don't want you <laughs> looking over their shoulder. It's a, it's an odd leapfrog that you yeah. play. You move behind them. I 
love the whole relationship with Fergus and as it develops over time. Yeah, it's one of, it's one of my favorite characters going yeah. forward. It's, it's a great a, character. It's a great bond. And, and I think it showed early on how how desperately Jamie wanted to be a father. Yeah. You know, even in Paris, he takes this this kid and he really didn't have to house him. Yeah. He could have just utilized just him, him to paid him, but uh, he takes him in and fosters him. <laughs> We've been milking this for two seasons. Two seasons, why not keep it going? Yeah. <laughs> it's so shameless. Yeah. It's just so perfect. I'm going to guilt you. Uh, yeah, into kissing me. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that, that we haven't talked about a lot, uh, or at all, is that uh, Claire has the knowledge of what happens in this battle. This is the scene where, where uh, Murtaugh mentions it. Oh, right, right. It's almost like a reassurance. Yeah. It's a little callback to uh, the scene we had in Paris where, you know, yeah. Murtaugh, you know, she <coughs> tells Murtaugh, it's probably a longer conversation than we actually saw on screen, but um, he, now he knows, she knows a lot about the history of things, the battles. This was an element I went back and forth on a lot, and I'm still not entirely certain that we made the right call, or I made the right call here, just in terms of, it's definitely laid out in the book that she knows they win the battle. Yep. But should we have played that in the TV show? Does it help us? Does it provide an irony and, a, and an interest, or does it undercut the drama of the episode? And I'm still a little bit on the fence about it. It's like, I know we talked about it endlessly, so it's not a new conversation. I just, I'm not sure if this was one of those areas that we should have departed from the book and not given Claire that foreknowledge, or does it kind of cement her position as the person from the future and remind us of the time travel aspect and get us to the end where, yeah, if she was right about this, maybe, unfortunately, she's right about Kalai. Right. So Would I don't you? know. I think it's still, I'm still kind of... Well, I, I think, you know, there also is that thing is, is she, she, t she obviously told them that yeah. they win, but had she had the knowledge and she didn't tell them, be for fear of telling them would affect the battle. Yeah. You know, so yeah. there, there, there's multiple ways we, we could have played it. Um, obviously, we chose uh, to, to go this route, and, and you know, sometimes decisions, you know, you finally just have to make the decision, yeah, or we just never call. film it. Yeah, we made the call. It's just, you know, I, don't, I don't know. And if we had made the other call, I probably would still be wrestling with it now, because I'm not sure that not having her have that knowledge works either it's sort of it's an odd thing it's one of these you can really argue it both ways and it's sort of a good example of some of the challenges of doing an adaptation because you do get to those moments where well you could play this the way it is in the book but does that undercut the drama of the television show or does it enhance it and, and, and inform it and sometimes there's no, this is one of those occasions 
I think, kind of a rare occasion that I'm not sure that there was a clear answer or that we found a clear answer because I think we we just opted to go with the book version and I'm not sure it I'm not sure that's the right call or or, or if it was the right call either. Well, and in the fact that we're talking about it all this months yeah. actually a year it later still is like yeah. yeah. So what we did here in production is uh, we went out to a a great location uh place called Muravenside County Park and we filmed part of the of the battle and then we we actually built a massive tent at that that farm from earlier um, they what the UK people would call a, a marquee and uh, we filmed the bits and pieces of the battle within that tent which was a brilliant idea I mean, it sells it. You'll see it coming. Now, this is not in the tent, right? This is not in the tent. and uh, But it's to match this kind of feeling. It is. So did you fog that up? We did. And we what, what we had going for us at Prestapans, and it wor worked well, um, and, and, and another reason why we chose not to do a lot of the other battles, is that uh, it was <clears throat> uh, Preston is very close to the ocean, or, or the fourth, and there was a heavy fog and mist. The, the, the day of the fighting. We created this fog and mist and it helped us uh, contain the battlefield, mm. so to speak. So um, we, we did f fog and mist tests and every time we went outside, uh, the wind tends to blow in Scotland and you can't control it. So it would blow all our mist all over right. the place. So the idea was how do we control it? Hence the tent. And we were able to control the density and keep it kind of equal throughout the shot. So you didn't have these big puffs of, yeah. of, of mist flying through shot. And that, that was the genius behind it. And as, as people will see coming up, uh, it, it really seamlessly works. Like here, right? This is in the tent? This is... Uh, is this a mixture? It's a mixture. It, from here on out, it'll be a, a mixture. You can see where there's trees. That's, that's definitely outside. We, we couldn't bring trees into the tent. They're just too big to match to, to actually hold them up. So this is a line of trees at the park, and it, and it opens up into a field. And once they get into the field, then that's all tent. Now, there was a whole little sequence in the book with Jamie sneaking up and the priest. And I, I'm trying to remember why we opted. We... we it's, it's usually a time. It was thing. usually time because yeah. time to shoot it. More time, than time to shoot it. More yeah. than story time. Yeah. Telling all those little that little individual story was going to eat up so much production time. Yeah. But this is a great shot. I love, I love this shot. shot. The lone. This is in the tent, right? Uh, this is in the air. Uh, Just literally sleeping, standing up. And all these little bits and bobs, where you don't see, you know, they're all second unit, but we came in after them. And then we filmed all the, the little bits and bobs, uh, also in the tent. Yeah, see, here, this was actually the beginning of the yeah, episode. Being, yeah. Claire was talking to the ladies, and then they heard that cannon shot, and the woman started reciting the player, and this is how the episode was going to open. So all this, all this was in this massive tent. Um, 
Green's department came in and put all the grass in, or uh, filled in all the grass because about 15 uh, minutes after we arrived, we destroyed it all, so they had to keep replacing the grass. And this is a great example of what we talked about from season one, which was the sort of the fighting styles of the British redcoats with their rifles and bayonets versus the, the Highlanders with their swords and targes and, and dirks. And the preceding episode, nine, Jamie was trying to train the army to fight in a similar fashion to the British. And this is, is what exactly what he said. The only way a Highland charge would work is if we have complete surprise, yeah. which they did. Yeah. And, and I like that Jamie, um, he's not too proud uh, to say, hey, let's, let's use this yeah. because it will work. It will work. A, a more prideful uh, general or commander would have said, no, my tactics exactly. have to work. And that's where you get the to defeat. That's what makes Jamie so smart and such a great leader. And the shock of the charge is what, what carries the day. It's yeah. the shock of these wild eyed Scots screaming coming out of nowhere, you know, that, that freaks you out and that breaks down discipline. We actually filmed uh, the, the entire sequence where uh, Kincaid gets killed. Yeah. And, and uh, you'll probably be in the deleted scene. Yeah. Because it, it obviously it's a. This a time was literally machine. cut for time. Because yeah. we did shoot it. And he was going to flash back right there to yeah. what happened. Yeah. <clears throat> so that horse really did fall on the guy. This is one of my favorite moments. Yeah. Fergus, like, caught in the middle of the battle. And then this guy coming up here really does hit him, right? Yeah, he really no, accidentally that rushes into him. Really, that was... <laughs> and people were worried, like, oh my God. This is the same soldier we used that, that was shooting at um, Murtaugh in the, in the opening. This is a real uh, veteran who was an amputee. He came and, and graciously... Uh, yeah. And this is actual uh, history, is that, that there, there were commanders yelling at their troops to stand their ground as they ran by them. And I think that probably would have played a little differently had she just said the British are here. Yeah. And then you get that beat of, oh shit, we lost, the, we're losing the battle. Yeah. But she says prisoner, yeah. and it kind of gives it away there. This is, I think, going back to the flashback of it all. Yes, because there was going to be flashbacks. There was going to be, so, so this in was some ways. Be very, this was very early in the story. Like early in Act One, oh my God. The British, guys, the the British, British have come in, yeah. and... One of our guys is seriously hurt. Yes. Where's Jamie? And how did we get into this battle? How did we get into this? So when you flip to the more linear path, yeah. then... Um, and it's a fair, you know, it's a fair argument, because I know Ira felt strongly he wanted to maintain the, the flashback structure, because that's the way it was written. And there's a valid argument for doing it that way, but just somehow in the way our the, the episode came together and you looked at it, it rhythmically it just works better for us when, yeah. it, when it uh, when you play it chronologically well and also you know you have multiple people who watch this prior to yeah to airing and you know the, the process is you know I, I i don't understand what's going on yeah then you as the the ultimate 
decision maker have to make people understand. Well, you got to be willing to sort of admit that while, you know, there's definitely times when you do something and you think it plays perfectly and then you show it to people and they go, what the hell is this? Yeah. And you have to sort of go, oh, yeah. I get what it is, but nobody else does. Exactly. And, you know, as long as we're talking about Angus and Rupert, I mean, the intention was not to kill one of these two guys. No. Nope. Actually, we talked about this in 209. Actually, we Willie. Brie we briefly touched we on briefly it. We briefly touched on 209. Willie was supposed to be our victim here. We were going to kill Willie. We were going to kill Willie because we set it up for an entire yep. season and a half. Yep. We the created group. an arc. Yep. We created a bond. We, we, we he was the young one. He was the young one. He had kind of a, a crush on, 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 on Claire. Claire. He idolized Jamie. Yep. He was the perf he was the perfect victim to yes. that. Had a problem, actor not available, a lot of bitterness about that, unhappiness. Yeah. Um, forced us late in the game to have to make a change. We needed I mean, we now had a story that required somebody to somebody you can't tell a battle in a war story without somebody dying. Because yeah. if you don't, you're basically cheating what the reality of war is. Yeah. You know, you have to take losses and it's is life and death and you know the stakes are enormous and you have to sort of honor that in, if you're gonna tell this this kind of story. It's just one of our people had to die. And, and we know that there's certain people that just aren't going to die. Yeah, and, and then there's some people like, there's some, you know, like um, Kin uh, Kincaid yes. and Ross, who are new players but have no real reson emotional resonance for the audience. That doesn't really hurt. That You don't really take a blow uh, when, they, when they pass. So it had to be someone you cared about. Now, without Willie, you're down to pretty much Rupert and Angus. Yeah. And I think our first pass at this, it was going to be Rupert. Yeah. And then I felt that ultimately it should be Angus because I kind of felt like Rupert without Angus was going to be a sadder story later. Yeah. You know, like they're both great actors and it's, you know, I, I love both the characters, but there was something about Rupert without his best friend that broke my heart a little bit more. It, it was it was an absolutely... Such a tough decision. It really was. It, it, we knew we couldn't win either way. No. In, in the sense, it was a loss for the show. It's definitely it, a loss for the show. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's, even now we're we're talking about we filmed this a while ago, and right now we're talking about it, and it still feels. Um, I still it bothers tough. me. I wish yeah. Angus was there with us for the rest of the I, season. I, I do too. Know? Stephen Walters is is, is brilliant. Is He's great and. Uh, This played a little differently in the book. As I recall, he rode the cannon in. He was riding the cannon in. I, I think celebrating one of the, one of the things right? we did differently this season, and it was it was probably a decision that was made early on uh, in episodes, you know, two and three and four. You know, when when Fergus pops up, is that um, he bonded so quickly with Jamie and Claire that or Claire. Uh, more is that the the arc is a little flatter than it, it probably could have been. This mm -hmm. is in the book. This moment is her coming to finally say, "You're you're right. I I do love I you. I do love you. I yeah. do love you." And that's why it was, it's played like that here. But I don't think it's it it's as powerful as it could have been because she's she was more put off with him in the beginning and and even off their faith in the book is that. You know, she feels for him when he discusses the rape and stuff like that. And that's when they start really bonding. Yeah. And it's this moment where she's like, you're a part of our life forever. Right. And I think that was 
what uh, we missed. Yeah, yeah, I think we missed that play. This has always been a, a tough little sequence for me. I, I'm a, I'm a big Dougal fan. I think, I think he's a man of character and honor. This is a, um, a, a tough one for me. And oh, uh, him killing Foster. Yeah, mm. and I, I thought Foster was played. Uh, uh, it was a brilliant character. He really was. Great he worked character. out in season one. People will remember he's he's the honorable. Lieutenant, uh, who brought Claire and Dougal to uh, Brockton, and they faced off with Blackjack, and uh, that's the reason we brought him back. But, um, uh, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. I think, you know, I I I think my regrets about this is I think to do this beat correctly, we needed to have told a small story with Foster. Yes. Like, I think it's a mistake to bring him in now and then kill him in the same scene. If we had been fought, if he was our one red coat officer exactly. that we were following, exactly. if he was like the only guy that we were cutting over to their side of the lines and telling a little tiny tale, and then we played this beat, I think it would have a different resonance. Yeah. But now it feels, it feels gratuitous, and I think this is this is a misstep. Yeah, that's the, it, it's it's the one beat. Oh, you're right. I think I think that's exactly it. If we had a little bit of a tale, yeah. Then whatever that was would yeah. speak to this moment. It would, because even that, because then it doesn't even matter. Like Dougal, I think would play in any case. Yes, it's the Foster element. If yeah. we understood Foster had some sense of his story, then the irony or whatever it would mean of his death would have a different resonance. different impact, or at least an impact. Yeah, it re- or an I, impact. well, actually, this is exactly what you're talking about. When you just that's why we 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 had to pick between Rupert and Angus. Yeah, is <clears throat> they. There was there was something that's going to resonate with the audience. Yeah. Now with Foster's death, it was just a guy dying. Yeah, it's just a guy, which is too bad because I, I remember when we talked about bringing Foster back, it was sort of like, oh, this will be great. Yeah. And I didn't. I it wasn't. I mean, I, I should have seen it in the script, but I didn't even see it in the script. It wasn't until I watched the episode, and then I went, oh shit. Yeah. We didn't play. We should have played something else with him. And, and we 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 ultimately do that. Every you know we do that we say oh they, they, we could have done play. this yeah, yeah this we can it's, it's different you read the scripts and you play a certain movie in your head and you think that's the correct movie and then you see it sometimes on camera and you go oh that's not the right movie <laughs> actually I feel differently now that I see it and and sometimes that is because someone else is playing a different movie in their head and it's shot slightly different yeah, or exactly. or their tone is slightly yeah. different than your tone yeah. So I mean, we have tons of meetings about this. We try to, we yeah. try to, to it, it, we have a tone meeting. It's literally where um, the director and the producers and Ron sit together, and we tone each scene. Yep. We talk about this is this is should not be a humorous scene. There should this should have a little humor in it, or this should be this way. Or this, and yeah. we talk it out with the director yeah. to make sure they know that this is our vision. We know you have yours, but we need to all get on the same page. Yeah. This was actually debated uh, quite a bit in the room yeah. as well. This was, yeah, this whole little beat, whether is, to include it or not. And 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 I, I like it for the reason of it. it ja- I, Jamie's in a situation where you know there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's just after a battle, and and once again, you can have a, a moment of humor. Yeah. It, it it feels. He's a leader, and he's, he's trying to like he's trying to lighten the mood deliberately. 
deliberately and, and laughter is the best medicine. Yes, it yes. really is. He's going to make a thing out of it. He's going to make them all like forget the fact that they're in agonizing pain for a moment. For a moment. That's it. This will this this is what makes him you know the leader of men. And then Charlie comes. Yeah, and Charlie comes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that subtle warning that Claire gives him like hey this is a hospital yeah. you're going to see some gross stuff you're going to see some bad stuff and uh, stuff you don't even know yeah He's so great. He's really it's just you. Just you love him and you hate him at the same time. Not even hate him. You just feel like, God, you're such an idiot. Yeah. But at the same time, you kind of love him because he's trying. And you almost want to give him a hug. You also and then give him a shake. Hug. Yeah, you know, a hug. And then, like, and then say, go, you know what? Now go back home yeah. and we'll bring in somebody real. <laughs> exactly. And this was actually, it really happened, is that, that Charlie really did ask yeah. the people to treat the, the, the English first. Treat him first. Treat him first because they are his, uh, his father's subject. There yep. you go. I can't remember if the, the Dougal part of this was in the book. Okay, so yeah, we added that. I think uh, we 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 often say that on the podcast. Is this in the book or is that in the book? Yeah. We we are uh, believe it or not. We we read all the books. We we, we yeah, definitely do. It, it doesn't sound like it doesn't it. sound like it. We do, but but, but <laughs> when we film these and and break these and write these, it for us when we do the podcast, it's so long it's ago. So long. And our head is already in. Um, con- the fact that we already announced that we have season three and four, yes. we can say this, yeah. is that our head is uh, already in Voyager, yeah. already in drums, a yeah. little bit of Fiery Cross. So yeah. we're already so far down the road that uh, what happened in Dragonfly is like, uh, well, what you do happened? so many versions. Like yeah. every, We always start with the book. We always start with the book version of events. We stop, start with book dialogue that the assistants give us. And you're, you're working from that material. But then you've done so many changes and so many variations that then the original, whether it was in the room or whether it was on the page, is always a little lost in the mists of time. Absolutely. Was, where did it all start? And then the, the things that we do is there's some bits and pieces that are from the book and then we've in, invented and created and they, they kind of mesh together. Yeah. So really there are bits from the book and bits not yeah. from the book. So those yeah. are the ones that even get harder. Yeah, they're really tough. Because the heart of the scene is definitely from the book. Oh, absolutely. Of Char- Charlie came in in the book and he said, treat the British yep. first. And there was a whole yep. thing about absolutely. it. And I think it was at the moment that Jamie was pissing it, it Absolutely. Charm, right? That's yeah. all. That's, that's all. all yeah.
yeah, there are the Prestopans of it all is this is the Prestopans chapter. Yeah. And uh, there are bits and pieces uh, of the book sprinkled throughout, and I think there are, you know, like the whole Dougal riding out and things like that that wasn't, right. you know, so. Um, <clears throat> but we had to kind of continue Dougal's story from, from nine yeah. a little bit, so. Now, this, this bit was, um, the last two days of filming the block were spent in this, uh, in this farmhouse. And, and this is the location we built this? This is on stage. Yeah. Um, and they spent two days in here filming, uh, filming everything in this location. And this was hard. This was a hard scene uh, for the cast and the crew to say goodbye to Steven and... You know, there was a sense of a real, of somebody actually dying. You yeah. Know, we've had a cast member who's been with us as long as Stephen has, and to, to lose him, it's it's like a deal. There was, uh, we had to pick up a, we, we had to come in and, and they had filmed the scene and then we had to go back and, and pick up a bits and pieces of this, mm -hmm. these tight shots that, that they ran out of time and, and couldn't shoot. So uh, part of me, um, uh, wanted to have Claire actually lean down and finally give him a kiss on the forehead to say goodbye. Um, um, and those, that's, once again, we talk about those yeah, moments, those beats nice, where yeah. uh, I didn't have a ton of time to do yeah. do it all. And, yeah. and I was working with one single wall, which is... The, you're fighting the clock. You're fighting the clock. And um, those are the, that, just that, that, that final seal, you know, because yeah. we've been playing that for so long. Yeah. Um, and I kicked myself. His death is a real war injury. It's like a concussion, right? Yeah. The explosion happened just bef behind him. He didn't get any, there was no shrapnel or anything, but the concussion, the, the, the blast actually, um, it's, it's what happens to race car drivers. Mm. You know, they stop suddenly and everything inside them keeps moving yeah. and pushes against, you know, their the rib cage and stuff. And th you can, over the course of the you look fine. It happens in skiing injuries a lot, too, really? where people are like, oh, well, you're just fine. And then all of a sudden, um, and this is what happened to, uh, this is how what we played with Angus, is that's why, he, this is how we, we flipped who was going to die. Yeah. You know, you think Angus is going to die from, I mean, Rupert's going to die from his wound. Yeah. And it's really all this internal bleeding that's happening to Angus, and he, he ultimately dies. And, and this goes back to what you were saying earlier, is that to see Rupert over time... Yeah, Rupert, because Rupert's a different character, yeah. and Angus, Angus mourning the loss of, of Rupert is not quite the same. Rupert's just going to carry, he's going he wears his heart on his sleeve a little bit more. And, and, I, and I think that, like, were we going to make Angus angrier? Yeah, it's you know, like, I mean, was go? he getting more violent? I mean, what, what, yeah. how do we play And that wouldn't Angus. read very well. No. And he couldn't be suddenly moping about, no. so it really didn't leave you anywhere to go. And I think that was one of the elements we took uh, from the books, and really adapted it and made it made it so yeah. much more as the Angus and Rupert characters, or yeah, you know, they really weren't a pair in the books at all. Rupert was in the books, and I think even the name he Angus was drawn from someone else. Angus Moore is the guy who does the beating um, of Jamie of in Jamie. episode two, right? Yeah. Here's that ominous warning. 
See, she couldn't have said this if she didn't tell That's him earlier. True. Yeah. Because he'd have to go for a different ending. Yeah. Played around with this quite a bit in editorial. You know, do you? And there was a version where these guys came out singing the song, and then you ended on the the ominous warning. Oh uh, yeah. And then we went back and forth and back and forth about where to. Because I believe in early in an early draft that was the last line. That was the last line. Yeah. I love Grant here. Yeah, he's. Just We've always played Rupert as more of the jolly yeah. guy, and to see him just completely wrecked and disheartened and heartbroken. And this is the thing about battle that that you know I think is a, is a strong way to play it is that you 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 know the victory, an overwhelming victory, but people still die. People still die. And yeah. so, do you celebrate yeah. or do you? Like they're trying to celebrate, but there's all this sadness within. Or you the just lost your best friend. Yeah. How do you how do you get happy in that moment? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think it's a great episode. A lot of outstanding work across the board in uh, various departments, and you know, so uh, it was huge. It this was, huge. was this was our this biggest was big one. biggest episode. So many departments. Uh, you know, hats off, applause to. Everybody. Everybody, thousands of costumes, thousands of <laughs> set deck and, and, and greens and stunt work, everything. So uh, brilliant, brilliant. Really nice job. Yep. All right, well, thank you all for listening, and we'll uh, talk again soon on episode 211. Until then, uh, good night and good luck. <laughs>